Tell you what, you, you all sound really good this morning. You do, man. That's why I sit up front so I can listen to all of you sing. And so nobody has to hear me. Wow, wow. I just feel like we just saturated these walls with the praise to Jesus. And I'm really excited for what's going to happen tonight as we gather together to continue to praise him, but also to spend time today, tonight corporately in prayer and to seek him and pray with one another and for one another. And uh, I believe that the fuel that drives and will continue to drive our church forward as we continue to seek the Lord and as we continue to grow both numerically, but also in our faith, is going to be prayer. Nothing else. It's going to be the fuel. And so there's no way for us to do this, but to do it together and to hold one another up. And I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, this morning, we're going to be in the final week of a series called The Father's Heart. If you've been here, uh, you know that. But if you don't, if you haven't been here, we've been spending the month of February and now the first of March. Um, going through this series and really looking during this month that so often is the month of love and Valentine's Day and all these things. You know, there's hearts everywhere. We're asking the question, what's the Father's heart? How do we know the Father's heart? What does Scripture reveal about the Father's heart? And one of the ways that I think we can see that actually in, is through the lens of these, these books called the Minor Prophets. Now, these Minor Prophets, they're not minor because they're they're lesser or they're not as important. They're minor because they're short books and they bring messages. And we often, if you've heard of the Minor Prophets before, you probably came into this series really thinking about the, the messages of judgment that they bring and correction that they bring to the people of God, the Israelites and the people of Judah. And not only that, but you may think of, you know, there's some harsh words from God. There's some calls from God in there. But I want to, and I hope we've all kind of caught this throughout this series, that it's in, even in these books, even in this time where God is calling out to his people to change their hearts, to change their lives, to come back to him, to stop doing the things that they're doing that are against his law, we see in his pleas through his prophets what God really cares about. We see his heart. And I've been so encouraged by this series. Uh, this series has been a really impactful one for me, uh, even as I've been preparing it. And so I'm looking forward to for, for today's message. Next week, we start a brand new series leading into Easter, which is going to be titled, I Am, I Am. And we're going to continue. It's by no accident that we're going from the Father's heart to the I Am statements of Jesus. You know, at one point, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am, Right? We have, a, we have statements all through the Gospel of John who, where Jesus says, he tells us who he is. And so we're going to be looking at that as we continue just to lean in to wanting to know God, wanting to know Jesus, wanting to know him more. I really want us, I feel like God is leading me in this first at least quarter of this year to really invite you all to press in to really know who God is to know him as your personal savior, as your Lord, as your friend, as your father. And so that's why we're doing this and why we're gonna get to do it. So I'm looking forward to that series. But as we go to the word this morning, and as we step into this last week and the prophet Micah, prophet Micah, if you wanna turn there in your scriptures, um, let's, go to the, let's go to prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful again to be in your, in your house this morning and 
Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing here in the lives of the people in the church. Lord, I pray for those among us right now who are sick this week, who are struggling this week. Lord, I would ask that this time, even now, that your Holy Spirit would comfort them, would bring healing to their bodies, uh, their souls, their spirits, their minds, Lord. Holy Spirit, I would ask that uh, at this time you would just work in our hearts, that we wouldn't be distracted by the enemy, we wouldn't be distracted by other things, what's going on after, after church this morning, but we would be able to sit before your word and that you would speak through me. Lord, give us open hearts as well as open ears and give us hands and feet willing to put into action what you're changing inside of us today. Don't let this be a message of transformation of information, but let it be a time where your Holy Spirit uses the word of God to transform us. Lord, so we leave here differently today, that our Sunday influences our Monday, and that the change that you bring about in our lives because we've gathered together here would be evident to the world around us, that sometime this week somebody would say, what is different about you? What's this hope? What's this joy? What's this way that you love? I don't see this anywhere else, and we would have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Lord, we come to you now, and we ask that you would lead this. Holy Spirit, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. So speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the interesting things I've ever had to do as a pastor when we're working at, especially hiring new people, is writing for them or the position a job description. You know, a job description. I mean, that's one of the things that you, we're all familiar with. I mean, if you need a job, isn't that what you go and look for? You don't just look for the job. You want to know what the job description is. You want to know what's going to be expected of you. You want to know if you qualify for it. You want to know if you want to write your resume so it looks like you qualify for it, right? Like, you need a job description to have it. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but I've also, I'm looking to see where my staff is so they can call me out here. I, I've also had a job description and got hired, and then I find out that the job description wasn't actually actually accurate at all, right? Or they put that line at the end that says, and all other things, you know, all other things expected from you, the job description. I mean, we've all had jobs where you're doing something at your job and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure that this is in my job description, right? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, But but we've all had those experiences and we've all had job descriptions that don't really match reality. And I thought it was funny as we finished this series just to kind of look at maybe what a, a prophet's job description is. We've t- we talked a lot about the prophets and we've learned a lot about these minor prophets over this time. So this is what I think uh, a, a, a prophet's job description would be. It would be like this, a position open for a prophet of God, must be willing to work long hours with no overtime pay. In fact, there's no pay whatsoever. Uh, also, there's no vacation, no retirement plan, and no insurance. Self-defense certification, not necessary, but recommended. And anointing by the Almighty God, highly recommended. Yeah, we found out. I mean, I don't know if it's been evident to you. I mean, to be a prophet of God is not a popular position. Not everybody, nobody, I, I can't imagine that anyone was excited when these men walked in the room. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody walked in the room and, like, Isaiah walks through the door and they're like, good, Isaiah's here again, right? No, because they they brought a message that was hard, but the prophets have this job description that's hard. But today's prophet, Micah, has a, a job description much like this one. 
But what we also are going to find through Micah today is that Micah gives us from God a job description for the followers of God. He gives us a job description. That's what we're going to learn about today. So what do we know about Micah? What do we know about Micah? Well, a couple things we know about the prophet Micah. He grew up and lived in a rural village called Morsheth. And Morsheth was about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem, not far from what we know now as the Gaza Strip. So he grew up in like a small town. He grew up in a farming community. He lived probably in like the mid, uh, mid-8th century B.C., so he was around, around that time, and he was a contemporary of, of, of men we've already talked about. We already talked about through this series, Hosea. We talked about Amos. Most of us are familiar with the prophet Isaiah. It's a large book in the Old Testament. If you've never read the prophet Isaiah, a lot of, uh, a lot of things around Christmas. Handles Messiah, uses, uses prophecies from Isaiah. So we know Isaiah. He was a contemporary of these guys, and he was called to both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel, the Israel and Judah. And he was called during the time of the 700 BCs to really call them back into following God. And he, he brought a message to them. And well, Isaiah, his contemporary, probably more popular, more well-known, was, was highborn, I guess would be a good way to say it. He was well-known. He was, he was of a more prestigious family. He grew up in Jerusalem. You know, a lot of people knew who he was. Uh, that was, you know, Isaiah was kind of the man, and Micah kind of grew up, you know, in the boondocks, and wasn't really known. He was a humble guy. He was a man, man of the people, a man of humble origins, and God used him, though. God used Micah to bring a message that was very important. His message was very similar than the messages of his contemporaries. And I just want us to remind us of those, a couple of those messages. I don't know if you remember Hosea. Hosea showed us that, that the father's heart, his message was that the father's heart was a heart to rescue, right? Because the people of God during this time, they were running away from God. They were turning from him. Do you remember that? And Hosea, he actually used the description of, of, a, of a woman, a prostitute, seeking after other men rather than her husband. And she kept going away from God. She kept leaving him time and time again. And God said through Hosea, you keep going after other things. And we saw that the Father's heart was to go after us and rescue us from the places that we sometimes take ourselves because we're going after, because Israel was going after idols. They were worshiping idols. They were looking for things in other places. And then we talked about the... the, uh, the prophet Amos, who pointed out the injustices that were going on. You know, this stuff that still happens today, but, you know, injustice with women and, and orphans and people treating them poorly and injustice in the court systems that were, were skewed toward the rich to punish the poor. Court systems that actually allowed people to take, the rich to take the land of the poor. It was all set up against them so the rich could get richer and the poor would be abused. And Amos came in and he said, no, justice is the heart of God. God wants people to be treated fairly and he wants the governments, he wants his leadership, he wants people of God to be a people where people make things right. And if there's a wrong, God wants it to be made right. That's his heart. And then we also looked at, at God's heart for repentance through the prophet Joel and Right, we've talked about that, and Joel prophesied at a different period, but it's important to point out that God's heart is for us, that when we have walked away from him, when we've turned away from him, when we've looked for other things, this is what Israel was doing. They were not following the law that he gave them. His heart was for them to turn, for them to change their heart, for them to change their life. And the moment that they would turn back to him, I shared with you the beautiful story from Jesus. We know the story of the prodigal son. As soon as he turned back, his father ran 
to him because the Father's heart is for us to turn back to him, to repent, to change our heart, to change our life, to change our mind, and stop chasing after the things that we're going after. And why is this all so important? It's because not only was this happening in, in Israel, not only was this happening in Judah, it still happens today. We all still do these same things today. And Micah was speaking into this. Micah was speaking into a specific time and in specific ways. He was an insignificant guy, though. But he did two significant things. First thing he did is he tried to convince both Israel and Judah's kings to turn back to God. That's the first thing he did. We see in Micah 1.1 who he prophesied to. And the word of the Lord came to Micah of Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And the vision that he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he prophesied during this time. Probably the most popular story, though, is he prophesied it to Hezekiah. And you can read about that. If you want to go home today and you want to read more about this story, you can look at it right in your notes. 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18 and Isaiah 36 to 39, chapters 36 to 39, you see the story about God working through Isaiah and Micah to call Hezekiah back to him and to align his heart with him. And he actually saved and staved off the destruction of Judah for a while because they actually listened. Hezekiah actually listened to God through his prophets. And that's a major thing that happened. And probably the other thing that happened through Micah that's probably more significant that we know about is God used Micah to announce the birth of Jesus. I know we obviously don't talk about the Christmas story when it's not Christmas, but we talk about this every year. You know, when, um, when the three wise men, or however many wise men there was, you know, when they came and they came to Herod and they asked where the king of the Jews was born, he said, we have to find that out. And he sent people to look and find out where that was. And when they came back, they told him that the prophecy says that he's to be born in Bethlehem. And you know what prophecy that was? Micah. Micah, in fact, this is what we see. This is Micah 5, chapter 2. He says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over over Israel, who origins from old, from ancient times. Now, it's interesting, these words Bethlehem and Ephrathath, I'm saying that wrong. I can't get it out. I practice it like four times, too. You know, the secret is for these and for Greek, you can, this is for free, is if you don't know how to say the name, you just say it really fast and move on, and no one ever will know, because nobody wants to admit. But anyway, so Bethlehem and that word, though you were small amongst the clans of Judah, right? So there's these three, these, these three words, and this would have signaled, we, this means nothing to us, but this would have signaled to the people that heard Micah with these names and his, his uh, reference to the ancient ways that origins of the ancient times, this would have uh, signaled to them that Micah was talking about a time prior to Saul, about a time prior to David. He would have said, out of you is going to be a king, and this king, I am going to reset the mess that has happened. Because I don't know if you all know this story, we don't have enough time to get into it this morning, but you know, Israel wanted a king, and it went from Saul to David, and then the line of David came down, and Israel chose a man as a king, rather than following God as king. And God says through Micah, it's such a mess that there is going to be a time coming where I am going to send a king, and I'm going to reset the nation, and this king is going to rule over all of Israel. And he goes on, and he says in verse three, chapter 5, verse 3, therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time 
when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return and join the Israelites. He's telling them through Micah, there's gonna be an exile and you're gonna have to go away, but then there will be a time. There is a promise that there will be restoration. And she who bears a son who's in labor, Mary, will birth a child and the rest of his brothers, all of the Israelites, will return to the promised land. This is an ongoing theme in the, in the prophets, certainly in the minor prophets. Punishment's coming. You're gonna lose the promised land, but there's gonna be a remnant that is going to return. And those brothers are gonna return and join the Israelites. They're gonna be true Israelites. But he's not just talking about a physical exile. He's talking in the greater scheme about this Messiah, this king of all the world, who at this time when he comes back, all the people who are lost, all the people who are in an exile of sin and darkness will be returned as brothers and sisters of God. Jesus, we know that that's what we are, right? And we know that because of what Jesus did. And he was talking about all the way in 700 BC, God was saying through Micah, this was going to happen. He was gonna say this king, this perfect king that was gonna bring everything back, this is what he was going to do. He will stand and he will shepherd his flock. The idea of standing really comes with this, uh, this large idea of a, he will endure forever. He is going to be unmovable and he will be a shepherd. He called himself, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. And he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty and in the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to take care of every need. And the glory of this king is going to reach to the ends of the earth. And only that, he says in chapter, or verse 5, and he will be our peace. <clears throat> you hear the songs that we sing at Christmas in this? Right? To all the world, all the earth rejoice. The king of peace. That's what Jesus was going to be. And Micah said this was going to happen. He prophesied that Jesus was going to come. This little nobody was used by God to bring this incredible message. But that's not all. In the meantime, he had another message, a message about the Father's heart, a message that the people needed to hear. And it wasn't a message that's all that different from what we've already talked about. And this part of Micah, what makes Micah interesting, if you were to read through, maybe you read through it this week, I know some of you have, but if you were to read through it this week, you'll see parts of Micah actually are laid out like a courtroom trial. God's putting the leaders of Israel on trial, and he's, he's case, stating his case against them. And there's a few things that he picks on them for. The first thing he picks on is the wealthy people. Once again, those who have money are treating those who have little poorly. This is what he says. <coughs> Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. These men returning from battle, what he's saying is the people that should be secure, because a soldier, when he finally gets home, finally can let off all of the tents, all of the stress that they've had at the battlefield. You know, you lived for, a, for years or however long you were in battle under this stress of constantly being in danger, and at the time where you think you're safe when you walk home, they're saying these people that should, should feel safe and secure, you're stripping off their robe. Not only that, he goes on, he says, you drive women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their rich, from their children forever. The rich people were doing this. The leadership was doing this. They were taking mostly widows and they were kicking them out of their homes. 
And therefore, the widows lost their homes, but even their children, the children that didn't have a father, the children that didn't have a lineage, they were being punished too because they were losing their blessing from God forever. This is what they were doing. And Micah was was called by God to to yell at them for that, to tell them to stop doing it. Not only that, but he picked on the business leaders. This is what he said about the business people. Shall I acquit some with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? You rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Get an idea. I hope you've been given an idea over these past month of, the, you know, God's not much of a sugarcoater through the prophets, right? And when people would go to market during this time, and they would go and buy things, one of the ways that they figured out how to pay for things is they, had, they would have weights that determined how much things would cost, and so they would have scales, and they would have the weight that would determine the cost, and then you would put your coin or whatever it was to be able to pay for things, and they would have dishonest scales so that they could get more money from people, and God wanted to call them out for that. And then even worse, it gets better, actually. Um, the leaders he picked on, he said, the leaders judge for a bribe. Yeah, the people that were supposed to judge in the courts, they were doing it for a bribe. And her priests teach for a price. Yeah, this never happens anymore, does it? Where pastors tell people what they want to hear so that they can make more money? Yeah, it doesn't happen today, but it did happen back then. Uh, and their prophets tell fortunes for money. This is what was going on. The the rich people were ripping people off. The leaders weren't taking care of the widows and the orphans, right? The court systems were unfair. The leaders, the judges were doing things. And, And not only that, this is one thing, this is amazing. This is what the prophets were saying. They look for the Lord's support and they say, is the Lord not among us? No disaster will come upon us. The prophets were telling people whatever they wanted to hear, and God had a problem with this. And then, one more thing in Micah that he picked on. The most scathing criticism that God had was for the hollow religious practices of God's people. Because this is what they would do. You will never believe this. This never happens today, sarcasm included, right? Is that people would come to the church, and they would worship God, and they would go through the motions, and they would be pious, and they would, they would, they would bring the right offerings, right? And they would say all the right things. And then they would go out into the world, and their life looked nothing like what they professed. God had a problem with that. He said, your worship isn't true. Your worship's hollow. And he, he critiqued them over and over. One commentator said, the people were religious. They, weren't, they had no relationship with God. Their, their practices were empty ceremonialism. Another one said, religious had become a matter of form. Observance, observances who were thought to meet all the religious requirements. The people believed that as long as they performed, listen, the external acts of worship that they were entitled to divine favor. As long as I show up and check the box, as long as I look like I'm godly on the outside, God's good, me and God are going to be good. It has, they thought that it had nothing to do with their life, nothing to do with their heart change. There were people who replaced heartfelt worship with empty ritual. And this isn't what God demands. And so God through Micah was saying, this is only half-hearted. This is not what I wanted from you. I didn't give you the offerings. I didn't give you the sacrifices. I didn't give you the law so that you could go through the motions. I want all of you. I want your life. I want all of you to be given over to me. And so Micah, on behalf of the people, asked God a rhetorical question. We see this in Micah chapter, uh, chapter 6. He says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? This is 
uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What am I supposed to do, God? You're not happy with me. Not only are you saying that the way that we're living is out of control, that we're not living in a way that you would call us to live, but now you're also saying that our worship is empty. And so God was really, through Micah, correcting them. He was saying, listen, not only is your life not a life that is pleasing to me, but not even your worship is pleasing. You've got it all mixed up. And Micah is, I think, rhetorically saying, so what are we supposed to do, God? How am I supposed to act? How are we supposed to live? And most of you know what's coming next. This is a very popular verse. God answers Micah with a direct job description of what he wants from his people. He boils it down very simply. And he says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. He hasn't made it a secret. This shouldn't be something that you had to search for. He's already shown you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, what the Father wants, what the Father's heart wants, is the Father has a heart for ours. He wants our heart. He wants all of us. And as we finish this series, I want us to understand that, yes, many of the things that we talked about during these minor prophets are things that happened during the time of the minor prophets. Many of you can sit here and we can say, well, I'm not a business leader that cheats people out of things, right? But he's saying to the whole world through these minor prophets, he's saying to us today, listen, there is something that we need to understand as followers of Jesus today, that our lives outside of this place each week And our worship inside this place matters. And God doesn't want a compartmentalized life. He wants all of you. He wants all of your heart. And he has shown you how to do that. He says that the description for a follower of God, a disciple's job description is very simply, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Because he wants all of your life, he wants every part of your life aligned with him. And he wants your worship to match your lifestyle. So it's not just about our works, right? Because we know our works don't, can't save us. And it's not just about, I'm under grace, God has forgiven me, he's, he's, grace has forgiven my sins, and now I can act however I want. Right? No, that's not how it works. He wants all of us. And I will tell you that God wants not only that for the people that live during Micah's time, but he wants it for us here at Palmyra Grace. And I want you to know if this is your first time, if you've been here forever, I am committed as a pastor that our church isn't a place that we show up to check boxes. I'm committed as your pastor that this church isn't a place where we just do the rigid religious rituals on Sunday morning and then we all, go to the, we all go into our schools, we all go into our workplaces, we all go into our homes and do whatever we want. I am committed that if God has given us this job description that I'm going to put my energy, our leadership and our elders, we're going to put our energy into shepherding us in the years to come as a congregation that walks along one another and forms us into disciples of Jesus that we are giving all of us and all of who we are to him in every area of our lives. And to do that, 
God's given us a job description. He's shown us. He says to act justly. To act justly. Now this would have been understood by Micah's, Micah's audience as right and wrong, right? The balancing scales that we talked about. Courts that were equitable and treating orphans and widows correctly. But the word justly seems, is so much more of that. It's so much more of that. It has a sense of true religion. Just like James says, true religion is this, right? It's a true religion that our actions are going to be equal to our relationship with God. That being a follower of Jesus isn't just about our relationship with God. It's not just about the vertical, it's also about the horizontal. We can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ with our mouth and then with our lifestyle be inconsistent, right? And he calls us to live in this just way. He calls us to live horizontally out into the world every day. And the fact that we follow Jesus means that we represent Jesus in our lives. We present Jesus each and every day. That's what represent means. Represent him each and every place that we go. And as leaders and as a church, we are pursuing this mission that we say is calling you to live a life each and every day, to live a life on mission. We're sold out for that. It's part of our mission. We want you to know what it means to live your life on mission. We say, you've heard me say it before, we want to be a church that we would influence our community so that if we, exi- we cease to exist, our community would notice. That's not just so that we could be famous, it's so we make Jesus famous. It's so that we would, be a, we would live our lives with a mission. Jesus has given us a mission. He said through Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 that he says, you are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. And your purpose in the world is to be ambassadors for him, to go out each and every day as a follower of Jesus Christ and say to the world, be reconciled to God. To make things new, God is bringing justice, but he has made a way for you to be justified through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are called to do that, to have a life on mission. We want to be compassionate. We want to share that message with people. We see stewardship here. As this church, we see what God has given us. We just prayed about it each and every week in offering. We see what God has given us as stewardship so that we can be generous and be a, make our world and our community a better place. We see our neighborhoods. To live a life on mission means that you see your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, wherever you go as a mission field. Not only, do we, not only do we send missionaries out into the world, but I hope you understand to be a part of Palmyra Grace Church means each and every day when we leave this room and we go out into that parking lot and drive off this property, you are entering a mission field. And I am committed as pastor to equip you to do that well. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to live justly. We want to organize our ministries so that we are building you up and equipping you to do this. We don't want our ministries to be so busy that you're at the church every week or every night of the week so we pull you out of your neighborhood where there's lost people that you're called to reach. That's what we want to do. We believe we're called to live justly, to live a life on mission. Not only that, but we're called to love mercy. Now, under this understanding in in Hebrew, which is what Micah was written in, this love mercy could be loving kindness. It could be, maybe some of your translations say faithfulness, right? It's the Hebrew word chesed. And in it is this covenant love, this love from God, this, this binding love that God has for us. 
that God wants us not only to love him, and he's promised that if we're in covenant with him, he gives us unconditional love, but he wants us to take that love and extend that to our brothers and sisters. It means loyal love to the people around you. If you're, if you're to love mercy, if you're to live out this love of God, this, makes, this means that the way you treat your spouse, this means the way that you treat your kids, this means the way that you have relationships in your home and with your coworkers matters. It's not just about professing Jesus. It's about pursuing reconciliation, pursuing right relationships. It's about pursuing right relationships with your brothers and your sisters and your friends. It's all that. It really means to love mercy. God's expecting us. Listen, God's expecting you and me to show the love that he's given to us to everybody in our circles of influence. That's hard, right? I can't do that without the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you right now. Come Holy Spirit, there's some people I really need your help loving. Nobody in this room, of course. But love and mercy says God's generous, so I'm gonna be generous. Loving mercy says God's forgiving, so I'm gonna be forgiving. Loving mercy says God's compassionate, so I'm gonna be compassionate. Loving mercy says God covers sin without covering it up, and so will I by going and forgiving, by testifying to the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away sins. I won't, extend, I won't allow people to cover up their sin, but I will accept their forgiveness of sins from Jesus. And if they want to be repentant, I will accept their repentance. God sacrifices himself for us, and loving mercy means we sacrifice ourselves for others. Listen, we've talked about this many times. What we call that here at Palmyra Grace is life together. If you're, if you're new here, if you don't know what it is, this is what we mean by life together. It literally means we do life together. That's what it means. God's given us a church. He's given us a church family, and we're supposed to be for one another. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must what? Love one another. By this, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another, right? He's told you. He's told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require? He calls you to live justly. He calls you to love mercy. He calls you to love one another. This is how we're gonna point it out to God. And so we see this as part of our life as a church. I want this to be part of a church. I want us to be a church that we intentionally move people from sitting shoulder to shoulder in rows on a Sunday morning to getting into circles with one another. And you know, here's the thing. If God continues to grow our church, eventually you're not gonna get to know everybody. But I want you to get to know deeply somebody in this church and walk along with each other in this. Loving mercy says that we do life together. We purposely invest in each other's lives. We cry with one another. We don't say, well, it's the pastor's job to minister to everybody. No, it's everybody's job to minister to everybody. And I promise you, if you think that I am a perfect man who doesn't need ministry from the body of Christ, you're crazy. Because I am a, I'm a faulted man. I'm a weak man. I cannot do what I do apart from the grace of God. And the way that I will be my best as your pastor is by you one anothering me. That's what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. It means we do life together in the mess. It doesn't mean, it means literally, if you want to love mercy, it means that when you walk in these doors, you don't have to put on your church clothes and your church face. I don't want to lead a church where we say we're fine and we smile at one another. Everything's great. 
because we're too afraid to say, no, you know what? Life's, life's terrible right now. I can barely take it anymore. Because you should be able to do that when you walk in these doors because the presence of Jesus Christ should be here. And it should be in the hearts and the lives of every person that walks in this door. It should be normative. If we are a church that lives life together, if we have a church that loves mercy, that shows the love that God has shown us to one another, it should be normal to see people praying all over the place of this church. It should be normal when somebody says, I could barely make it in here today, that you will say, come here, brother, come here, sister. Let me, let me hold you. Let me pray for you. Let me ask and intercede on your behalf for you. Let this be a normal part of what our church is. Otherwise, we're just playing church. Otherwise, what we do here is an empty ritual. It's checking the box. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to do life together. We're called to love mercy. We're called, when people walk in here, and if you're here for the first time, I want our church to be a place that if you walked in here for the first time, you would say, wow, these people not only love Jesus, but they deeply care for one another. That's what he's called us to do. And he says, finally, to walk humbly. Rick Warren says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Right? It's about putting others before yourself. So what does it mean to walk humbly with God? It means that you put your dependence on him rather than you. You walk humbly with God. It means that you live in conscious fellowship with God. Listen, I want us to be a church that each and every one of you knows how to live your life with God. Not that you have devotions on, 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 in the morning and then the other 12 hours of the day you live like the world. Not that you come on a Sunday morning and you hear the pastor give a talk and then the rest of the week you live like the rest of the world. I am committed for our church to be a church where you walk humbly with God and you know what it means to do life with God. That he's part of every part of your life. One of the reasons we were, we're praying, we're having a, this prayer and praise night tonight, we're trying something new, is because we, we want to be a church where we're all praying together and that our prayer life is what feeds us You've heard me say before that I believe that if you get into God's word, it'll get into you and it'll change your life. That's how we do life with God. Listen, if you're not reading God's word and if you're not memorizing his word, come to me. I want to make sure that you know how to do that in your life because if you don't have another narrative shaping your heart and mind other than what the world says or what your flesh says, you will never look like anything but the world. You're called to live life with God. I'm committed that we be a church where we make disciples who know how to live life with God. That we see the prayer, we see the word, we see our worship services. You've heard me say this before if you've been here, that our worship service would impact Monday. If anything I say on Sunday morning, if something I say on Sunday morning doesn't influence how you live for Jesus tomorrow, then I failed. And I'm going to sometime, sorry. But I'm going to do my best not to because we are called to walk humbly with God. We are called each and every day to make God part of every part of our lives. And if we're not committed to do that from the smallest to the oldest in this church, we're not going to be a church that's effective the way that God's called us to. This is what God said to, in a way, to Micah. This is what I want from you. This is what humanity is supposed to look like if they are sold out for God. They're to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And I think we need to be a church that all of our lives are sold out to do life with God, to life together, and to do life on mission. And this is hard. 
to truly do this, to truly live out our Father's heart for all of our heart, we're going to need each other. We're going to need the Holy Spirit. We're going to need the movement of the Holy Spirit. We're going to need a commitment to it. But if we really want to be the church that God's called us to be, if we really want to be the church that represents the heart of the Father, if we really want to be the church that where our lives outside of here, our community outside of here, looks the way that God wants it to, and our worship inside of here looks the way that God's called us to, we have to be committed to do this. And I just felt led at the end of this series just to to say, this is where we're headed, folks. Not that we haven't been here before, but this is where we're headed that each and every one of us would know what it means to live this out. And then once you know what it means to live this out, you're going to be called by me to help others live it out. This is your first Sunday. You want to come and check out our church? I'll tell you, this is where we're headed. We believe that a life with God is the primary thing. The authority of God's word is the primary thing. That prayer is essential for everything we do. And I am committed to every single person that comes here would grow in that ability to do that. And this would be a church where we truly would live life together where we would be a church family and it wouldn't be a, a platitude that we throw out. And that we would be a church that would live our lives on mission. Because God didn't say, I call you to be, go therefore and hire a pastor to make disciples of all nations. He didn't. We're all called to this. And there's a world outside the doors of this church that needs the message of Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, Paul Myra Grace and all of us here are supposed to be part of that. That's what I believe, right? So we're called to do that. The Father's heart is for all of our hearts, to give all of ourselves to him. Are you ready to do this? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing here at our church. Though we know Micah brought a message very similar to some of the other prophets, and it was a nation They'd gone off the rails and started to look more like the world and started to care more about things rather than your heart. And you said to him, he's already shown you what to do. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your life. And Lord, we want to be a church that doesn't make what we do here about us. We want to be a church that doesn't make church about our preferences, doesn't make church about our priorities. Lord, we want to be a church that forms our, each and every person that comes here, our hearts into your heart, that reflects your heart. So Lord, help us. Help us to be a church that grows in our ability to do life with God. God, we, we, Holy Spirit, we want to, you to be part of everything we do, every place that we go. We want to be a church that gets into your word, that it forms us, it shapes us, it changes our minds and our hearts. We want to be a church that prays and puts prayer as a priority. Lord, we want to do life together. Lord, I don't want any lone rangers in our church, Lord. You've given us this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. Let us grow as a family in him. Lord, use us. Use us to do justly, to, to go into this world and on mission for you. God, let us have eyes to see the people that are lost, that are lonely, that don't know Jesus, that are living lives of destruction. And give us the courage to share with them the solution. Not for our glory, but for yours. Not so that we grow numerically as a church, but so that the kingdom of God grows. 
We love you, Lord. Thank you for having a heart for ours. We give ours to you in Jesus' name. Amen.